This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Well, good afternoon and welcome to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox. In just a few minutes, we tackle back-to-school worries, anxieties, and other concerns and how parents and teachers can best prepare for them with child and family therapist and clinical counselor, counselor rather Michelle Camboulis, who will offer some advice and take your calls, too. In our next hour, we completely change gears and take a look at getting your car out of summer and ready for, shall we say, the next season's ahead with Freeman Young, CEO of Crown Rust Control. So a busy show today. And first, as always, here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week. And we begin with what is probably the least popular story of the week, or at least one of them, and that's the joint decision by Air Canada and WestJet to raise prices on checked baggage. It's not a lot of money. The first bag fee goes up 5 bucks to 30 and the second bag will now cost $50 to check through. The announcement came very short after U.S. carrier JetBlue hiked its baggage fees. The new charges will become effective October 5th and will apply to the lowest price fares on both Air Canada and WestJet. Some of their other fare levels include at least one free checked bag, and that will remain as will bags for holders of some credit cards. Now, Porter Airlines, based in Toronto, says it won't change its fees. We haven't heard from Air Transat or Sunwing yet either. Did the simultaneous announcement bug you too? It kind of got to me. It was just like watching gas prices at competing service stations across the street from each other go up at exactly the same moment. Some might call that collusion, but they don't. Just business. It seems like we've got just got used to 4K TVs, and already the world's largest electronics manufacturers are talking up the next generation of the technology, 8K. At the IFA Consumer Electronics Show in Berlin, fierce South Korean rivals Samsung and LG showed off their latest TV offerings, sporting giant screen sizes and, of course, eye-popping colors. Both companies unveiled 8K TVs, claiming 8K is the future of the TV market. Market. Samsung products feature QLED technology and LG products are OLED, both of which mean basically an enhanced picture capability and a hefty price tag. In Japan, Sharp already has 70-inch 8K models for sale, and they start at around 13000 US. The big problem Although the 8K technology may be almost ready, there isn't much 8K product to show on the enhanced, expensive TVs. Still, the industry says it expects to sell a quarter million of these sets this year, and they expect that to rise to 7 million a year in the next five years. Some people just have to have the newest, shiniest toys, and you know they will be first in line for 8K. Coca-Cola is getting a $5 billion shot of caffeine. The company has agreed to buy coffee chain Costa Coffee from UK drinks and hotels group Whitbread for about $5 billion US. Costa has nearly 4,000 stores across 32 countries. It will give Coca-Cola a strong coffee platform across parts of Europe, Asia Pacific, the Middle East, and Africa. Besides its thousands of retail stores, Costa Coffee also has smaller on-the-go outlets 
called Costa Express, a roastery, and for home coffee products. The still the deal rather still needs to get approved from shareholders and regulators and is expected to be completed in the first half of 2019. Buying Costa puts Coke in direct competition with Starbucks, McDonald's, and several other global brands. Hot beverages is one of the few segments of the total beverage landscape where Coca-Cola does not have a global brand. Costa gives them access to this market with a very strong coffee platform. A little closer to home, Lululemon Athletica's stock surged more than 15% in the wake of the company's second quarter profit, which nearly doubled compared with a year ago. The Vancouver-based Athletic Apparel Company stock up over 21 bucks following the earnings report. On a call with financial analysts on Thursday, Lululemon attributed the improvement to a 47% jump in e-commerce, a 20% spike in website traffic, its expansion into the Asian market and the continued demand for women's yoga pants. The call was the company's first with its new chief executive, Calvin McDonald, who joined Lululemon following the departure of the former CEO. Kind of a good news, bad news scene for the new guy. On one hand, this is a huge turnaround and great news. On the other hand, it's going to be a tough act to follow next quarter. Still, a nice problem to have for the new CEO. And good news for Canadians from Walt Disney Parks and Resorts. Now, that the big summer rush is over, Canadian visitors can save 75 bucks on a three-day pass to Disneyland in California until next April, and another 75 bucks on a four-day pass to Disney World in Florida until March. Oh, no, this offer obviously would have been helpful for those families who visited either park over the summer, but the reductions are aimed mostly at groups and families with off-season plans. Upgrades for shuttle services and others are also available. Oh, and be prepared to prove you are a Canadian to qualify for the discounts. Those are some of the week's top consumer stories. We'll have a look at some more later on in the program. A quick break here, and then we'll be joined by child and parent counselor Michelle Cambolis to talk about back-to-school anxieties for kids of all ages. And that's something we sometimes forget about. It's not always just the little kids and their first day of school. Your calls will be welcome when we return on Vancouver Consumer, right here on CKNW. Welcome back to the program on this Labor Day weekend. A cloudy mix of sun and cloud in Vancouver. Kind of a great day. Lots of action down at the PNE, as you might well imagine. Chicago, one of the best horn bands in the world, on stage tonight. Sterling Fox, joined now by Michelle Cambolis, who is the clinical director of the Harborside Family Counseling Center and founder of Chi Kids here in Vancouver, where I'm told on some afternoons one could even receive a cup of chai tea. Michelle Cambolis, welcome to Vancouver Consumer. Thanks so much, Sterling. How are you? I'm great, thanks, Michelle. It's good of you to join us this afternoon. I made a statement. We're going to talk about back-to-school uh, concerns, to put it mildly. Uh, but I made a point, as just before we went to the break, about kids of all ages. Back to school, we tend to think of as, you know, traumatic events in the lives of five-year-olds. But it's not just about the first day of school for the little kids at all, is it? Well, it really isn't. Older kids are worrying um, about things that are appropriate to them. So uh, high school students are often concerned about 
what their courses are going to look like and um, whether or not they're going to be able to manage the workload, what their grades might be. And um, my oldest son is almost 20. He's in second year at SFU, and um, and he worries, too. He's yeah. concerned about lining up his courses properly and, and um, how his performance might be. Um, whether or not he's going to be able to find parking in the parking lot, you know, it's it's um, it's an adjustment for for all all kids and young adults. You're quite right, and of course, in your son's case, he's lucky because he lives near enough to SFU to be able to go back and forth to school. But a lot of people at his age, right now in Vancouver this weekend, are looking for a place to live. That's concern number one, Michelle. Exactly. So you know, it's really tough. For kids, um, housing is um, virtually unavailable, and they're bunking up with one another sure. and, and really just trying to, to cope with the basics. Let's go back to the younger students. Uh, the concerns of the, the smaller ones are, are certainly the more popular ones to talk about uh, on back-to-school, in back-to-school conversations. And where do you begin when you, because you are the, the, the clinical director of the Harborside Family Counseling Center, and I'm sure moms and dads and, and their children come to you with uh, tons of anxieties about it. So how do you counsel parents to talk to their kids, especially the little ones? Well, the little ones um, are really showing how they're doing through their behavior. And so we're probably less likely to ask them directly how they're feeling about going back to school and rather keeping an eye on how they're managing, how they're managing their emotions and sleeping at night and and their appetite and so on. All of these, um, you know, more physiological um, components will tell us a whole lot about how they're, they're doing um, separation anxiety is something that's really common, and so we want to normalize those feelings for kids um, so that they understand that everyone feels a little nervous, that the teacher knows this, and that the teacher will be addressing this in the first weeks of school, that it's really about just settling in, get to knowing um, one another, and um, and that they really are in good hands. Right. It's, you, know, you mentioned separation anxiety, and, and uh, it's certainly a real thing. There's no question about that, Michelle. But I'm wondering, and you're, you're the pro in this conversation, I'm wondering how much you see in your counseling work with parents particularly, how much of their separation anxiety is projected onto their children, therefore really ramping it up on the kid. It certainly can, and we know that parental stress is on the rise. Um, stress for all of us is on the rise, and um, and that can definitely be expressed through our relationship with our kids. So it's a great opportunity to just check in and ask, um, is this about me or is this about my child? Mm-hmm. And if your child truly is having significant separation anxiety, it's really important to bring the teacher into the fold um, from the from the get go and let them know what's going on so that they can provide that extra care and attention. One trick that a lot of parents have used over the years, uh, then this happens generally in the week before school begins. The teachers report back typically a week before classes commence in order to just sort of start prepping the building and so on. And during that week of, of teachers present, but, but not much activity, a lot of parents, particularly of first-timers, take the kid to the school when there's not a lot going on and they walk them through it. There's the principal's office, that could be your classroom or that one over there, and, and there's the auditorium, et cetera, et cetera. So at least it's not a completely alien environment on that first day. Does that make sense to you? 
it makes complete sense and it's a great approach that in environmental orientation is very reassuring to children i mean they worry about where the bathroom is of course and, and how they're going to find it so when you walk them through and they can visualize what it's going to be for themselves um it's deeply reassuring and of course, uh, and right, and it just takes, it reduces the anxiety because there's just a, l- a little less mystery surrounding it all, basically, right? Exactly. And there's some really basic things that we can do as parents in order to make sure that children are settled and emotionally ready for school. Um, keeping an eye on sleep and making sure that you're dialing back um, bedtime is really important. We know that Children, on average, are getting one hour less sleep throughout the school year than than they need. And this, of course, really leads into um, anxiety. So if we can help them settle at night, start the routine now, this weekend, so that um, they're able to get a good night's sleep uh, leading into school, that can be really helpful, too. Yeah. You know what's really funny about about this this whole thing is it's that first, I mean, it's all leading up in, 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 in one's imagination and in reality as well. This enormous uh, crossing the threshold on the first day of school. The funniest part about it of all, Michelle, is like that first day at school usually lasts about an hour and it's over. Well, truly, and the first week of school, they're really not doing much. Right. <laughs> they really aren't. Um, so it's, it, but it's, a, you know, all within the imagination of a child, all the things that could go wrong. They worry about whether or not their friend's going to be in their class and, and um, whether or not they're going to like their teacher or their teacher's going to like them. And so their mind is going into all kinds of different directions. And this is a great time to help them learn how to metabolize all that worry, externalize it, talk about it, um, and, and shift their mindset from worry to optimism. Right. So within those conversations, if we start to turn the conversation towards, well, what are you really looking forward to? And what went well last year? then it, it helps them to draw on previous experiences of um, resiliency and success. We're talking with Michelle Cambolis, uh, who is a registered child and family therapist and parent educator and a registered clinical counselor. Uh, Let's put the shoe on the other foot for a couple of moments, Michelle, if you would, please, because your professional work involves dealing with a lot of adults besides children. And let's talk about the teachers. When teachers face back-to-school realities, um, some of them, of course, just can't wait. Some of them uh, approach it with more than a little trepidation. Talk to us a little bit about what teachers tell you they're all worked up about before the first day of school. Well, keep in mind that teachers are often going through their own personal adjustments. Exactly. And, and many have children themselves. So not only are they um, adjusting to um, just getting their students settled back into class, they also have their own little ones that are that are dealing with back to school so um, it's a bit of a double whammy and um, and so being a teacher is a really complex job so I I imagine it's a big adjustment for them and um, and they also have uh, a whole handful of, of parents wanting to get to know them and tell them about their child so my advice is this if teacher wants to know about your child write down some bullet point um aspects to what you think they really need to know about them and then book a meeting within the first few weeks of school to see if you can just have a chat but give them a little room 
um, but also arm them with information. Ah, so that that uh, short, very short list of uh, here's my child, and here are the things that uh, he or she uh, is, uh, is, uh, is most concerned about. Three or four uh, notable points about this child. Uh, you can do that on the first day, but you're not going to have that lengthy heart to heart about your child's idiosyncrasies and all the rest of it. Probably not even the first week, are you? No, and you don't want to give them a a 10-pager of who your child is. But if you can let them know that um, your child has three siblings and one of them is also at the school or Uh, they really love, I don't know, um, horses, it gives the teacher information so that they can make a connection with your child. Right. And of course, the exception to that approach, Michelle, would be in the case where the child has an allergy or some kind of medical issue to deal with. And that has to be dealt with right up front on day one, correct? Oh, absolutely. And parents of children with allergies are amazing advocates and very well versed in making sure that the school is um, aware right from the get go. Okay. Uh, again, uh, back to the parents and their concerns, because uh, uh, some of it, some of the uh, some of the anxiety that comes about, especially at, at this beginning of schools uh, every every year, is the the working parent who, for some reason, decides that you know I really should just be home when little Janie gets home from school or Johnny gets home from school today, and I won't be. I'll be at work, and that's terrible. I'm I'm uh, I'm dropping the ball here, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And that's that's not a fun way to start a school year either, is it? No, it isn't. You know, it's always really great if you can make arrangements with your employer to be able to pull back a little bit that first week of, of school. Not everyone's able to do that, but if, if you're able to, um, certainly try and make those arrangements because we really want to make sure that we're present and 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 giving our child a chance to um, process through us. So if if you're not able to do that, I think it's really as simple as um, clearing the decks when you are home and making sure that you're just fully present to whatever is showing up for your child. Take their emotional pulse, um, find out what the day is, looks like. Sure. And, How was your day? Um, yeah. be, brief and, be brief and problem solve. Interesting. And, and keep in mind, our kids are incredibly resilient. So if it just happens that you're not able to be there right after school, um, be really clear on when you will connect, when you will see one another, and and know that um, chances are your attachment is deeply in place. And so as soon as your child sees you, um, you'll be getting the full picture of of what's showing up for Michelle, I need to take a break for the news, during which I'm going to open up the phone line, 604-280-9898. Your thoughts, calls, and comments on Back to School with Michelle Cambolis after the news. And welcome back to the Labor Day weekend edition of Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox. Joining me on the line from the summer home is Vancouver uh, clinical counselor and child and family therapist, Michelle Cambolis, who you can find online, by the way, at michellecambolis.com. Cambolis is K-A-M-B-O-L-I-S. Michelle has one L. michellecambolis.com. Closing up the summer home, Michelle. Uh, it's a lot of Canadian are doing it this weekend it's a kind of a bittersweet uh, time every year isn't it well it is bittersweet we've had a great time um but not unlike most parents i'm having mixed feelings this time of year it's been great to 
have the kids around a whole lot more. They do tend to grow on you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also healthy for everyone to get back into a routine. Well, absolutely. And of course, you know, I still laugh and our kids are all grown up and our granddaughter isn't old enough to go to school yet. But I laugh still when I see that Staples ad uh, and, and the mom throws the kids a catalog after draining the swimming pool. And it comes on year after year. The, the song comes on. It's the most wonderful time of the year. The old Andy Williams <laughs> Christmas song. And I smile every time because for parents, you're right. It's it's a really cool time to, to have that time over the summer. But by the end of it, most everybody's ready to change it back up again, aren't they? Each and every one of us, and, and kids too, while they may not realize it, um, the routine is super healthy for them. And, um, and it allows them to just kind of lean into something that gives them, um, you know, reassurance. And in the summertime, you know, but come on, by the end of August, we're ready for a shift. Yeah. No question. So let's talk. We talked a lot in our last hour about back-to-school concerns, and you talked about university-age students. One of them lives in your house. And we also talk a lot about little kids, the little kids going to grade one or kindergarten for their first day of school, the cutest in the world. But in between are a lot of kids going back to school again. And let's just suppose, Michelle, last year at school was a pretty grim year. You didn't, you didn't like your teacher. You didn't get along with him or her very well at all. Um, you, 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 the homework thing, and we'll talk about that in another, it was, was, was a nightmare. But most importantly, interpersonal relations at school were dreadful. You were bullied. You got a hard time. Uh, you, you just really, the last place you want to go on Tuesday is back to that. Now, what do you do with that person? Well, that sounds like, um, doesn't that sound horrible as you describe that that picture? Um, well, let's target um, the piece around bullying. Mm-hmm. Children that have experienced bullying absolutely need to have an adult that they trust at school. And that adult should check in with the child on a regular basis. We can't expect children who've been bullied to reach out themselves. So it becomes our job to um, find out how they're doing emotionally. Mm-hmm. And, and then second of all, they need to know that teachers are helping that other child to make safer decisions. So when a child has been bullied and they can see that teachers are actively trying to support that child in, um, in changing their behavior and managing their emotions, then that's reassuring to them. And then third of all, um, I think it's important to, to point out that kids are growing and changing all the time. And there's a lot of growth that can happen over summer. There's a lot that can change. Sure. So um, it's good for them to watch and be on the lookout for positive change. So shifting their mind from fear to optimism and reassurance is um, the most helpful way to go for kids who, who are... Um, who've been victimized. Right. I should probably also mention again to our listeners, Michelle, that our phone lines are wide open here. If you'd like to join the conversation and have some thoughts or comments, uh, you're most welcome to join us. And the number to do so is 604-280-9898. 604-280-9898. One of the things that happens sometimes when kids get bullied, Michelle, is, you know, one word about this to anybody and you're, you're just, you're toast. And that, that's part of the bullying package. You say one word about this to anybody, and your world comes to a crashing conclusion. And, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but you know what I mean. One word, 
and you're in even deeper trouble. So you have to, sometimes they're not going to articulate it, so you have to be on, on the watch for behavior changes that just aren't typical of that child, correct? Yes, yes, and even if it hasn't been overtly said, um, children are embarrassed. Um, they feel shame when they've been bullied, as though mm-hmm. there must be something wrong with them for them to be targeted. Sure. And so it's very, it's hard for them to talk about it. So it, it does become our responsibility to enter into their world and make sure that they have the supports in place um, to, to help ensure that, that they're not internalizing all of that fear and, um, and traumatic experiences. Mm-hmm. And, and you point out quite rightly that, you know, for a child who is being bullied, an adult that they can trust and sort of unload on is absolutely critical to turning their, their, their whole experience around. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the parent and frequently isn't, right? No, not at all. I mean, a school counselor or a teacher um, or, or aide that is developing um, a consistent relationship um, can play that role. It might be um, a sitter that's in the home uh, on a regular basis, but whoever that child makes a connection with, feels emotionally safe with, and, and is um, involved with on a consistent basis is going to be most likely to be that person to provide the support and, um, and to hear um, the, the, the pulse emotionally um, for that child. Yeah. Let's talk about homework. Uh, and we, we have three, all of them successfully through secondary and post-secondary and the whole bit. But I can tell you, when our kids were growing up... Congratulations, ho- oh, by the way. Well, thanks. But, you know, homework was just dreadful it was uh it was yeah. it was a real bone of contention it would made for an awful lot of really uncomfortable times over the years uh some of which uh it was you know laziness on the part of our children <laughs> no question about that homework or anything but uh, i choose option b a lot of kids will go there without even thinking about it but nonetheless some of it has to be done and some of it ended up being done by us so you know where's the value well, I've heard of parents um, spending hours with their children on assignments. And when I hear that, I think there's something really wrong there. Well over half of kids will say that homework is their biggest stress. And we also know that um, teens are losing out on, on sleep because of the amount of homework that they're getting. Mm-hmm. So if that happening, it's really important to, to speak with the school, to speak with the teachers, to let them know that, that this is what's happening. Um, and teachers do want to know that. They don't always realize. And, um, and it's also really important for parents to, realize, to understand that when it comes to homework, their job is very simple. You're responsible for providing the time and the space for them to get it done. Right. And that's it. And to be available if there are any questions, but you're not the homework corrector, the grader, the tutor, or the homework police. Um, and, uh, and, and it really is the child's responsibility to, to manage homework. If they're not doing that, it's time to, to meet with the teacher at school. Uh, okay, but it's interesting you use the phrase the homework police. 
because you know, it won't be many, many days. Okay, maybe a couple of weeks. And a lot of people listening right now who've had a very comfortable, relaxed summer are going to fall back into being officer-friendly in their house and the homework enforcement unit. And uh, that's just the way it played out maybe when they were kids. Maybe they got sat on until they got their homework done, uh, and, and, and that's what they feel they have to do. And maybe that's, in some cases, they actually do. So how do you get past being the cop in the household and just get back to being mom or dad? Well, that's a great question. Well, I, I think about it along these lines. Um, did your kids play soccer or any kind of sport? Mm-hmm. You bet. Yeah. Hockey and okay, baseball, so, you bet. Right. Okay. So, so your job when you go to watch the game is to cheer them on and support them. Sure. And, um, and coaches are really clear that they don't want parents to be instructing from the sidelines. Yes. And, um, and you wouldn't run out onto the soccer field and grab their leg and get them to kick the ball. So why would we do the same thing with homework? It's, it's our job to just simply encourage and support and help them to problem solve around whatever blocks might be showing up in order to get it done. So oh, okay. that might mean um, asking them questions like, okay, well, what's getting in the way? How could you solve that? Um, what might work better? Um, what kind of support do you need from me? Um, what have you thought of already? So ultimately, we want them to start entering into the problem-solving process so that they can make their way out of procrastination mm-hmm. um, with, with their own abilities. And, of course, the glib response is, well, I'm, I'm not doing my homework because I don't want to, I don't feel like it, and I don't see any value in doing it. So there. So the, the comeback is obviously, well, too bad. <laughs> you have to get it done, right? <laughs> yeah, it were, you know, I get it. Um, when I was your age and I had to do homework, I didn't like it either. It's here, here. really, you know, there's so many other things that you'd rather be doing. But what do you think might happen tomorrow if you don't get this done? So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, empathy, support for sure. And then also helping them to understand that there are some real consequences to them not um, getting the job done. So speaking of getting the job done and following the rules and the way things get done in the system, I was watching the news the other night, and they showed a, a, new, a new school, high school out in Surrey, big multi-million dollar whiz-bang-looking nice place. And they interviewed uh, the principal, I think, and the principal was saying, you know, we only have two bells in our school every day because bells can cause anxiety. And I actually laughed out loud. I thought, wait a second, we're, we're talking to, about high school people. We're not talking six-year-olds. We're talking 16-year-olds. And bells are kind of cues to get things done in the course of an academic day. Anxiety, they cause anxiety, so we're not going to have any? That's an oddball approach, don't you think, Michelle? Or am I the oddball in this conversation? Well, it's, it's so, I do This is high school. Factors that are that are exacerbating anxiety, and if they can find a, an effective way to replace it, then why not? You know, I uh, in the, so they're replacing the bell with programs like MindUp, where instead they're using synergy bells, um, and there's great evidence for this to cue students to put down what they're doing, close their eyes, and tune into what's happening inside emotionally and ah. cognitively. 
And and the results of this are astounding. Um, it was uh, Goldie Hawn, she was living in Vancouver, yeah. developed this program with researchers at UBC. And, um, and what they found is just, you know, this practice in the classroom of tuning in has resulted in better grades for the children that participate, um, more altruism, and um, fewer angry outbursts. And the kids are calmer. So when we do cultivate an environment of calm and resiliency and support, children learn optimally, and it's more likely that they're going to have success. Interesting. We've only got a minute or so left, and I wanted because just on this calming theme, some of the some of the people listening to us have small people in their lives this weekend are just just walking on the ceiling. They're so ramp, ramped up for about all this. Give us a, a tip or two in the last minute that we have, Michelle, about calming uh, before all of this begins. Yeah. So you know, parents really do choose the shape and the rhythm of of their children's lives. So up against a lot with technology and hurried, worried lifestyles. But um, this is a great time of year to really think about what matters most and to set some plans and some intentions in, in motion to be able to create the kind of lifestyle this year that's going to support mind, body, health, well-being, and balance. And what that looks like for each family may be different. Sure. But there are some really key practices that are essential for a family's mental health. Connection time, play time, time in um, are all really important, just as important as the learning and the homework and the doing. So um, if you can sit down as a family and make a plan to, um, to fit those really important practices into into your life, then um, that's really going to cultivate the kind of environment that will minimize stress and um, and support your children's well-being. Interesting stuff. Michelle Cambolas, uh, enjoy the uh, final weekend at the summer home. Uh, hopefully we'll see you here in Vancouver over the next uh, few weeks ahead. Thank you so much for taking time out of your last weekend at the summer house to spend with us here on CKNW and Vancouver Consumer. We appreciate it very much. My pleasure, Sterling. There's Michelle Cambolis, a family counselor and a clinical counselor as well. And you can get more on Michelle at michellecambolis.com. We're back after this. And once again, our thanks to Michelle Cambolis for a very informative visit. And uh, coming up in our next hour, we're going to change gears from the concerns of the first day of school to having your vehicle ready for the change in seasons ahead with Freeman Young, CEO of Crown Rust Control. And he'll take your calls, too. Time now for Dooley Noted. And this time around, our producer, Ben Dooley, has a look at the rise of naked vodka sodas. Thanks, Sterling. First, it was wine. Then craft beer. Now another new liquor industry is brewing up big numbers and taking BC by storm. They're called Naked Vodka Sodas, a canned carbonated alternative to beer and coolers, and one that appears to be catering to a huge unmet demand in the market. The big difference? No sugar. Here's the CEO of Nude Vodka Soda. We found that the coolers on the market had too much sugar, gives you too much of a hangover. Um, beers make you a little bit bloated if you drink too many of them, so we just want to create something that doesn't have any sugar. They're Nude, which sells in BC, plowed through 270,000 cases last year and has been selling so much this summer, 
it's run out of cans. In fact, the volume is so high, local liquor stores can't keep the stuff in stock. While that no doubt creates logistical headaches for producers, it's a nice problem to have, and a positive development for an already booming BC liquor industry that generates billions of dollars a year and thousands of jobs for the province's economy. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. And oh boy, does that stuff go down easily. Thank you, Ben. Uh, Time for a couple more consumer quickies before the news. A new survey shows more people from British Columbia are avoiding purchasing products made in the USA. Research company president Mario Canseco says it's been a trend since Donald Trump took office. We see there's a little bit of change that's happening, not because of the Canadian dollar, but because of who's in the White House, says Mario. Across the province, 25% of British Columbians have changed a brand of food. 19% of those surveys said they changed brands of clothing they normally buy to avoid purchasing from U.S. producers. I think there was a moment when maybe they didn't realize certain things that were produced in Canada were made in Canada, and now because of Donald Trump, they're paying more attention to where their food comes from, says Mario Canseco at Research. In addition, 52% of residents said they paid more attention to American news than they did in the years before Trump's election. 16% of those surveyed also reported they had canceled a planned holiday or vacation to the United States. And here's a story Vancouverites can relate to. Seattle is no longer America's hottest housing market, a position the city to our south has held for the past two years for almost exactly the same reasons as Vancouver. As is becoming the case in our town, prices in Seattle have cooled off, so inventory is up and sales have fallen off. That said, house prices in Seattle are still up 12.8% over the same time last year, but things are slowing down down. So what city now owns the title as America's hottest? Las Vegas. Of course, the reverse is true in Vegas. Inventory is way down, so the cost of what's available is up. And here's another reality check. The average house price in Seattle, $805,000. And in the desert, the typical Las Vegas home, $290,000. And it's not just those new hockey players moving in either. The population of Sin City is growing at a rate that has even the locals surprised. That is our show for this hour, produced by Ben Dooley, Andrew Ferrer, is driving the bus. I'm Sterling Fox. We'll take a quick break for the news here. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Freeman Young, CEO of Crown Rust Control. And I know it's Labor Day. Technically, it's September 1st, so we're kind of there. We're going to talk about how to tune up the old vehicle for the changes ahead after the news. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.